0: and let's play, Try to Find the Adult. (laughs) Take your Bibles, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. I uh, joked with somebody as I was on my way back over here for the third time, because I kept having to go back and forth to the office this morning, and uh, service had already started in here, and they looked at me like, Uh, you're supposed to be in there. And so I just told him, I said, I'm trying to get everybody's hopes up in there that I'm still out of town. And then I'll dash your hopes by showing up and you have to listen to me. So consider your hopes dashed. I'm glad that you're here though. While I was away, I had the distinct, okay, it wasn't a pleasure. I started to say the distinct pleasure, but it was not that. On Black Friday, I had a house full of kids And my kids are adults, and so I had two grandchildren also during that time, uh, although one of them was gone by then. Um, And they wanted, my son, the youth minister, wanted to go and get a really good deal on an Xbox. And so on Black Friday, we loaded up and went to the mall, followed by uh, Best Buy. Now, I would rather take a beating by a duck than have to go to shopping places like that on Black Friday. But it gave me the option or the opportunity because we had Declan, our 16-month-old, 15-month-old grandson with us because his parents were shopping and his uncle was shopping. And so Teresa and I got to be, well, I'll just put it this way. I was the old man sitting in a chair at the mall watching people go by. And it proved to be great sermon preparation time for me. Um, You know, this is the season. This time of year, Jesus gets a lot of attention. Now, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily um, the kind of attention that Jesus uh, should get. I'll elaborate on that as we go through this time this morning, but uh, Jesus gets a lot of attention. This is when Christians like to rally around the banner of Jesus is the reason for the season, and Uh, I guess that's all right as far as it goes, but these are times that we like to say, you know, we talk about the baby in the manger, and we talk about the shepherds on the hillside, and we talk about the angels who sing to them, and the three wise guys, and all of that kind of stuff, Um, but I think all of that pushes this question for me, and it's a question that I want to kind of hover over what we do here for a while this morning. Is all of that stuff hype? Or is it truth? Now, I'm, I'm smart enough to know, and I'm not smartest knife in the or sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm smart enough to know that most of us, maybe even all of us in this room, would hear those things, Jesus, the baby in the manger, and the wise men, and all of those pieces of the season that we celebrate, and we would say in our heads, that's truth. Okay? So let me just put your fears to rest. I say, that's all truth. All right? So I'm not suggesting that it's not truth. But I want us to make sure that we're answering honestly on the practical level. Because it's easy for us to buy into, especially during the Christmas season like this, we, we like all the trapping and we have decorations and, and all of those kinds of things. And that's all fine. We love that at our, in our family. We've always kind of played up Christmas. And so I love all of that stuff. And it's grounded in truth. God himself took on the form of man in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to come to buy, well, let me just expand that term a little bit, to offer to us life. That's truth. But if we're not careful, we get so tied up in the Christmas trappings and the season, even the religious ones, that we begin to treat that stuff as if it's just part of the season. And it becomes hype for us and doesn't, if we're not careful, have practical playing out power in our day-to-day lives. So over the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, I'll be preaching. On the 18th, we have a children's music program that'll be in our morning services. And then again on on Christmas Day, uh, I want to give you my three Christmas wishes. Not for me, but for you, this is what I wish for you as we come to Christmas time and we come to grips with the question, is it all hype or is it real and truth in our lives? So I want to start with this here in, um, in Isaiah chapter 9. Because we we have this prophecy that's given, and it's a passage, as I go to read it, many of you would be able to just quote it outright, the names that we have here of Messiah, it's all familiar for us, you would be able to see it, but as we come to it, I want to begin to pick a few of these titles over the next few weeks, and let's bear down on them just a little bit and see how much is really truth in the way we live our lives out as it relates to who Jesus is and why we have Christmas, essentially, this all boils down today, at least, to that one name for Jesus that we like to use at Christmas time, and kind of surprisingly, we don't use it many other times. It's the name Emmanuel, which means God's God with us. Now, this all just before I get to the passage, let me make sure that I get all this stuff out so that we can deal with it accordingly. Um, we're still in this ongoing series in the book of Acts, and in a little bit we'll go over the book of Acts maybe if we have a chance to get there, but um, I'm taking a little bit of an excursion because it's a Christmas season. And and as we're working our way through the book of Acts, one of the things that that I really want to emphasize is what I believe the book of Acts emphasizes, and that is that God himself, after Jesus has ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. That's Biblical. That's the basis. When we say that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. That is the picture of ongoing Emmanuel, God with us. No longer tied to that individual who walked the earth and was crucified for our sins and to give us life. Now the Holy Spirit, God, is indwelling us when we trust Christ as our Savior, Emmanuel. But you see, the deal with that is if we say that, and I'm not going to ask you to vote whether you believe that or not, but that's what we believe scripture teaches. And so for us to say we believe that here, the Holy Spirit indwells us, then that means that God with us has to be impacting the way our life is lived out. So what I want to do is I want to take this one statement about Jesus that we'll see here and let's see how it plays out to see if it is a little bit of hype in our minds rather than practical reality. All right, so in Isaiah chapter 9, we read in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so what we find is this prophecy that helps us get this picture of the names that will be attached to Messiah. I don't want you to miss... This part of it, so I'm going to come back and retread it just to make sure we're all on the same page. When I suggest that it may be that we handle Christmas like it's hype, I'm not suggesting that Christmas is not true. I am suggesting that sometimes it's easy for us to underfunction as it relates to the life that we've been given. So with that in mind, I want to zero in on the one title that we focus today, which is The Prince of Peace. You see, I sat at the mall, and I watched these people. And I, I don't honestly know. I didn't stop to talk to anybody because I wasn't there for a relationship. I was there to try to you know, just do the time. Uh, but I, I, I just I watched people. And when we went from there, we went to another store, Best Buy, and then we, it seemed like we went somewhere else. It was a long day. Um, and I, I just watched these people, and it seemed like there was no peace. It was frantic activity. There were cross attitudes from little children to parents or little grandchildren to grandparents. There were cross words between adults. There were these people who were serving, working, trying to help people make purchases that were the focus of attacks by the very people that they were trying to help. Where is the peace in our time? It takes me back to one of the, and I I use this the first Christmas that I was here back in 2011, but this is one of those Christmas carols where the backstory uh, begs for us to internalize it, I think. And this is from the Christmas carol that we know as I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And you can find it in the hymnal. I, I guess you don't have them there. We put them up already. But um, this was a Christmas carol. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. They're old familiar carols play. You remember that, right? Uh, and I'm going to go through the lyrics here in a minute because the lyrics were written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, written on December the 25th in 1863. The American Civil War was at its height. His own son, who was an officer in the Union Army, had been injured. And so Longfellow goes in, in on this Christmas day and he steps out and as the song goes, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The next stanza, I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In other words, it's Christmas and the churches are ringing their bells and it's a time of celebration, but... The next couple of stanzas, most of which don't occur in our hymnals, read this way. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Where is the peace? And then he says, And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. That could have been written yesterday in American society. And yet, we have this prophetic identifier that Jesus, the Messiah, would be known as the Prince of Peace. So I go back to the question. Is that true, or do we treat it as if it's hype? And we could look at this, and I want to take this idea of peace from two different angles this morning, Uh, first on the interpersonal level. And we could take the truth of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. By the way, that's truth. We don't get to vote on whether that's who he is or not. He is the Prince of Peace. But where we do get to vote is how we let that impact our lives. And now we get into the hype or truth part of it. And we often live as if it's just hype. Oh, yeah, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But if he is the Prince of Peace and he offers peace... And we don't function in peace, then either he cannot deliver, or we missed something. Okay, so let me settle that for you. He can deliver. Okay, if it's not happening, it's our deal. And so, on the personal or the interpersonal level, I just kind of want to underscore this and move off of it. But uh, you know, there are churches full today, all across our area, all across the United States. Churches are full of people who refuse to get along. People who use the name Christian, which, by the way, refers back to the Prince of Peace, and yet refuse to live in peace with one another. Hype or truth? So with that in mind, we come to a couple of steps that I would like for us to get, because I think Longfellow has tagged something, and that was in a horrible period of American history, but it drives it back to us today, because I don't think the, history, uh, the the period of American history that we're in today is all that great either, quite frankly. So where is the peace? Let's move it off of the interpersonal, and let's bring it down to the personal level. Just you, right there where you sit. How do you sleep at night? What are the things in your life that tend to keep you awake when you lie down to sleep at night? Now, I'm, I'm really grateful for whoever the person was who found out about ibuprofen PM. Now, some of you are NyQuil addicts. Uh, We all find ways, well, maybe not all of us. I don't want to paint it in big, wide brushes here. But uh, the reality is many people really have a hard time when it comes time to go to bed to lay down and be able to go to sleep. And one of the reasons for that is because our heads are just like turning all the time, stuff going on. Now, one of the issues that can happen with that is that this lack of peace takes the form of anxiety. For us, did a little checking, and uh, this is supposedly true, uh, but at least it's presented from one of those places that uh, tracks this kind of stuff. And, and doing some checking about the level of anxiety and the widespread problem of anxiety in American society, there are differing numbers but when it comes right down to it they say 18.1 to 30% which is a kind of a big deal but they're tracking trying to track between people who are clinically anxious or those people like you know some of the rest of us is normal kind of thing but this anxiety is a problem for for some of us and so the 18 to 30% of the american public suffers from anxiety beyond that 41% of the american workforce reports anxiety attached to their jobs in one way or another. We could push it even beyond that and talk about the amount of money that is spent trying to treat anxiety kind of illnesses, $42 billion a year, is reported. So what we find is almost up to half of the entire American population is anxious, and anxiety is a daily thing for them. Christmas? Hype or truth? If Jesus, in fact, is the Prince of Peace, he is. I'll just settle that. He is. But if he's the Prince of Peace and half of American society, which has to include church members on top of that, Christian people, is suffering from anxiety, where's the peace? In other words, I'll put it this way. What good is Christmas, really? How effective is Christmas on this one particular point of living? So let's get a couple of definitions on the table, and then we'll uh, work towards a conclusion here. Anxiety. uh, This is my own working definition, okay? If if it's... uh, Not one you like, that's fine, you make up your own. But this is the one I made up, okay? So anxiety, as I see it, is one of those, it's, it's that response that we have either to a genuine loss of control or lack of control in our lives or the fear of lack of control in our lives. In other words, all of us suffer, I mean, the, the sin nature, by definition, is about control. It is that I will be God, I will call the shots, and so we work our way, and some of us are really good at working our way into controlling every little piece of our environment. And so people around you call you OCD, if that's the case, or CDO, if you're really OCD. So anxiety kicks in for us when we begin to sense that there is a loss of control, a lack of control, or at least the threat that that could happen. So let me just back it up, and let's put a couple of real-life examples here just to let you know. And I'm going to use stuff out of my own background, uh, and hopefully it will re- resonate with you a little bit because I don't want to like, you know, put a finger on you and make you think you're the only one with the problem. So here's one of the things that causes anxiety for us is money. Now, I've never been one of those people who had so much money that I was anxious about what I was going to do with all of it, um, but I understand that there are people like that. But I go back to a time when money was one of the main triggers for anxiety in our lives. So Teresa and I got married. I was like six years old, and... Um, um, but we got married, and I was working in the oil fields of West Texas. It was one of those boom periods, and so money was flowing, and jobs were easy to, to get. And, uh, and so I got into this job and kind of worked my way through the ranks. And so I, I, within a couple of years in that job, I was making more money than a guy my age should be making. I was 20, 21. Uh, and all of a sudden, in the midst of that, God called me to, to uh, the ministry. And so quit my job. We moved off to college with a three-month-old son who had some health issues. Uh, and all of a sudden, I went from making more money than a guy my age should have been making to making a total of $50 a week working two different part-time jobs. And anxiety became my close companion. We would go to the grocery store knowing that we had X number of dollars, and it was never much. I was trying to go to school, working two jobs, kid at home. And so we would go to the grocery store, and as we were working our way, I knew how much we had to spend, and I was keeping track of every penny that we spent. So Teresa would take something off the shelf, and I would see what it cost. And in my head, I was trying to keep up with it. We even in, developed this little game that we had that when we got to the register, I would say to her, okay, this is what our bill's going to be, and I would try to be within a dollar or so. And I was good at it because I was anxious about not having enough food or not having enough money. So money is one of those things, whether it's a debt issue that you have or a job-related kind of thing that comes with that. Money is one of those things that is so much a part of our everyday life and it's such a big part of our everyday life that it begins to creep in on us and before we know it, we're fixated on money, whether we have enough or not enough. If that doesn't get it for you, maybe this one will. Let me give you something to do this week on your way to work. Now, many of us out here uh, work in Beaumont or down in the plants or whatever, and so you're traveling back and forth down 69, 96. Let me give you a little game to play uh, while you're going to work and home this week, all right? Try to pick out the people in the cars around you who are suffering from an anxiety problem at that moment. Here's how you can do that, okay? Okay. That person who is going faster than anybody else around them, okay, unless it's you, of course, um, and driving recklessly, weaving in and out of traffic because they just can't wait to get to a job that they hate. What causes a person to do that? And some of it is they're anxious. I'm going to be late. I've been late five times in the last three weeks. My boss is going to... You see what I'm saying? It just... before There's little things about daily living that begin to creep in and anxiety puts its hooks in and begins to just tear us apart. So watch for those people. Watch for the ones who would run you off the road if you don't move or watch the ones who have a very colorful language in describing the people who won't let them through. Here's another one for us, those times in our lives when we suffer from lack of control. This one's a medical one. Um, I'm going to give you a a little bit of a thank you here uh, to a number of our men and women yesterday showed up here. Uh, We are just about to get kicked off with our renovation of our chapel over there, and uh, we found several different churches, three to be exact, who could use pews. And some of them were recovering. Barbara did a great job helping put us in contact with some people with uh, Baptist builders. And so a church from Texarkana came down and picked up some, some pews and another church in Beaumont. And we got, Laura helped us with a church in Baton Rouge. And so, you know, yesterday we spent a good part of the day up here moving pews. They're heavy, just so you know. Uh, but I don't know it as much as most of these guys do because I didn't lift much. Because I'm lazy like that. Um, actually, they were kind of looking out for me. I've had back surgery and had some back issues this time last year. And so uh, guys were really good to help you know, keep me in line with that. But um, when I went in for my first, uh, let me say to y'all who helped yesterday, thank you so much. Uh, it blessed my heart to watch you work. I can watch people work all day long. Um, <laughs> to work alongside of you. Uh, But just the fellowship of that was really good for me, and I I trust it was for you too. So thank you for your time and for your help there. Um, But when I went in for back surgery uh, a number of years ago now, it was the first time I'd ever had surgery, and it didn't really set in on me until I was in the prep room and the nurse came in and began to say, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. We're, we're going to finalize this stuff here. In about five minutes, they're going to come get you. They're going to take you into the operating room. Uh, and the, uh, the guy who, the drug dealer, is going to be in there. And he's going he's to put this thing on your face. And he's going to turn on and tell you to breathe deeply and count backwards from 10. You probably won't even get to 7. You'll be out. Uh, and then we'll do the surgery. And it dawned on me for the first time right then, I'm fixing to be incapacitated in front of a guy with a knife. <laughs> now, this guy's paid to be ethical, <laughs> uh, I hoped. But for the first time, it dawned on me, I'm about to go into a situation where I will be totally out of control. Now, let me tell you something. That produced a little bit of anxiety for me. So I dealt with the anxiety the way some people do. I medicated it. When the guy put that thing on my face, I just deep breaths. Let's, let's get this done so that I can be through it. When we get into medical situations, and it may be you go to a doctor and the doctor says, uh, this is not good news for you. We, we have discovered this and we're going to have to deal with it. Or worse than that, we have discovered this And there's nothing we can do. That is an anxiety-ridden moment for us. The lack of control, the loss of control, the threat that I will not be in charge of my environment produces anxiety. Money, job, medical. If none of those get it for you, many of you parents, this one will. One of the most anxious times of my life occurred three different times. With each of my children, when I handed the keys of the car to them for the first time, and they were about to drive off without me being able to make sure that they were safe and doing things right. Here's a news flash for you. If you are a parent with young children, let me just encourage you this way. It just gets harder. If you don't, I really didn't intend to preach too much about raising kids today, but let me go ahead and do this. If you don't maximize the time you have with them when they're young, you will not have any control over them when they're older. And if you don't put the right things into them when they're young, they will eat your lunch when they get to be teenagers. So raise them well. Because there will come a day, I trust and I hope, I pray for you, that there will come that day when you hand the keys to them and they drive off. Okay, It's a great thing when they leave home. I love that. Okay, But it doesn't mean it's easy. And anxiety is one of those constant companions. Well, that's not a true statement. It doesn't need to be true anyway. The reality is that anxiety may well be one of those constant companions with us in our lives, but... We have to come to grips with the reality of Christmas where Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you have his peace or are you anxious? So let me give you a couple of other things and then we'll be done. I want to take you... To John chapter fourteen and verse twenty-seven, we're finished in Isaiah, so you can lose that marker. But go to John chapter fourteen and verse twenty-seven, because it's a it's an intriguing statement here. Let me set the scene for you before we read that. But um, Jesus now so speaking of anxiety-producing moments, Jesus has been walking with and teaching his disciples for a number of years, and he has been pouring himself into them, trying to teach them. Um, to really understand who he is. They're starting to sort of get that. It, it's not quite full bloom yet for them. But in the process of that, he comes right up now to the edge of the moment when he will be crucified and put in a grave. And he begins to tell the disciples some of that to prepare them for that. And they, get, they don't get it, but they get enough of it that, it that it causes them some anxiety. So in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't freak out. You believe in me? So you go back and read all of that, but that's the context here. And so in that time when Jesus is now, by the way, what is the title of Jesus from Isaiah? Prince of Peace. And he's got a bunch of disciples around him now who are like us, who are situationally focused and freaking out. And so he says this to them in his incredible verse of scripture. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace... I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And here's what I love about this. This would be an empty offer from Jesus to them if they hadn't seen him at peace in anxious moments. So let's go back just a real quick walkthrough, a couple of things. I've, I use this all the time because it's one of my favorite stories. But Jesus and the disciples in a boat at another time in the Gospels, he's there, they're in this boat. Jesus has been ministering all day long. He's just totally wor, uh, just worn out. So they get in the boat. They're going to cross the Sea of Galilee at night. He's asleep in a storm. Now, we love and I love to talk about him calming the storm and all that kind of stuff and the disciples on the backside going, who is this dude? Look at what he does. But don't miss this part of the peace. The prince of peace exhibits peace in the midst of a storm because he's up underneath sleeping. Now, I know some of us going, well, but he was tired. He had a long day. You know, here's the reality for me. It doesn't matter how worn out I am if I let my mind go nuts on stuff that I don't have control over, I can't sleep. That's why we have Ad, uh, Advil PM and that kind of stuff. You <laughs> See, just because he's tired doesn't mean that he could sleep. The reason he could sleep in a storm is because he's the Prince of Peace. And peace marked his life. If that one doesn't do it for you, Take and consider the times that Jesus goes. He, he's going to Jerusalem for the last time. And, and his disciples know that. I mean, he's got to go do this. And you can go back and fill in all the details of this. But he's on his way. The, you know, his face is set like flint towards Jerusalem, I read. And his disciples know that it's dangerous. They're going to they're arrest you. They might even kill you. And Jesus says, we're going. If that's not an anxious, an anxiety-producing situation, I don't know what would be. But he does it with peace. We can just walk our way through. You ever get performance anxiety when the boss is watching you? How about when Jesus is standing in front of these thousands of people and he's got a couple of fish and some loaves of bread, and he says, let's feed them. I, I, I get anxious when I'm expected to do things that I can't do. But you see, there's nothing that he can't do. And that's one of the pieces that we need to hang on to here. The piece of the puzzle that we need to get is that Jesus, God in the flesh, is peace. And he offers peace. And so he lived peacefully within himself. And so he says to his disciples as he's about to go, My peace I give to you. So the Christmas deal is truth. He is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. But when we choose to live with anxiety ruling the day, it's hype. Peace, by the way, let me just throw this out. Brian, come on up, if you will. Let's define peace, finally. Uh, We're tempted to say peace is the absence of conflict. So let me just rehearse for you the Thanksgiving week at my house. I had several thousand of my family members in my home, okay? Um, And, you know, we're fortunate. We're grateful. We're blessed that we did not have conflict. We didn't have, you know, people in our family squaring off and fighting over stuff. We didn't have that. Uh, But to say it was a peaceful environment would be just wrong. It was chaotic, all these people. It was so bad that my wife's dog, the little pixie, right? The good good size for a breakfast taco. Uh, She stayed under the bed for four days. She wasn't going to be out in the middle of all that chaos. Okay, so peace has got to be more than just the absence of conflict. Peace, if we take that passage from the Old Testament that we read, The prince of peace. The word means to be complete, to be whole. It is to function in the fullest way possible as designed by God. Shalom. Peace. Wholeness. Anxiety has a way of dismantling wholeness in us. And so Jesus, I think we hold strong to the words of 1427 of of John's gospel my peace I give to you. I can go a lot of different places, but let me tie it all in with the series that we're doing in Galatians chapter 5. We have what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And in that, um, Jesus or Paul is writing, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We've been in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, after Jesus ascends to heaven... Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit, that's all Acts chapter 2, you can go back and read it. But there we find that Peter stands up and he starts talking about it and he says, this is now God with us, the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit who indwells us when we place our trust in Christ as our Savior, that same Holy Spirit carries the same characteristics and divine attributes that Jesus has. They are God, one and the same. So with that, he brings that into our lives and he indwells us so that the peace of God is not something we have to work up. It is the fruit of God in our lives as it lives out. That is our problem because we hear this kind of stuff. Okay, so I'm going to be peaceful and I'm going I'm to make myself. And then we get all anxious about not being able to make ourselves be peaceful. And the reality, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, peace. So let me close with the last words of Longfellow in that Christmas carol for us. After he sees the continent torn apart, he comes back to this on that Christmas day. Then peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, swinging on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. My wish for you for Christmas this year is peace. Fortunately, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas time, brings it for you. Let's pray. And as we pray, the invitation that I have for you today is where's God in this message for your life? It's very possible. I would assume based on the averages that we see in those statistics I quoted that the chances are really good that there's a lot of us in here today who are suffering from anxiety at some level. Where's God in that for you? And if it's eating your lunch and you know that you're living at a level that's less than what God designed, my encouragement to you is that you just turn it over to him. We could go to another passage in Isaiah where he talks about peace coming as we put our trust in God. We recognize him for who he is and his love for us as evidenced at Christmas and we just settle in to him. If you don't have Jesus in your life at all that's where you need to start and he brings you life. He brings you forgiveness of sin and eternal life that's quantity, you know, after you die you go to heaven, all that stuff. That's good. But he gives you a quality of life today that is marked by peace. The Prince of Peace says to you, I want to give you peace. So, Father, we ask you to take this invitation time now. Use it for your glory. Change lives in Jesus' name. Amen.